So again, just want to welcome everyone today, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. You know, God has made each of us unique, and when he brings us together to a church, each church is unique also. So I think it's important that we remind ourselves what makes Four Mile Church so unique. And we kind of have three things that we focus on. First, we're a church on mission. We have a vision to reach the tri-state region and beyond, making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we do that by taking our next steps towards Christ together, day by day. And our next steps as a church, as many of you know, are these pillars. And so after Easter, we're really going to be focused on how we use these pillars to encourage and build ourselves up in ways that are, allow us to reach that great vision. We're also a church with flaws. That's why we say here that it is okay to not be okay. And that's important to remind ourselves of because sometimes we start to think that we're pretty good. But we also don't want to stay in that not okay place, even though there are no perfect people here. And that's why we love you enough to tell you the truth. And that's the truth in the person, words, and works of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're learning about that truth from King David over the last couple of weeks, as just you saw up here on the screen, Psalm 51. It's a famous psalm of repentance in response to David's sins of adultery and murder and abuse of his office as the appointed king of Israel. Now, the last two weeks, we focused in particular on his 12 petitions and how David was so focused on his dependence upon God for his steadfast love and his abundant mercy to forgive him. And then this week, we're going to take a look at his reaction to it all. How does he respond to being forgiven? And so let's focus in on our scripture for today. It's basically broken into three parts. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. So when we think about all that David has gone through, as he's gone through this process of grieving his sin, and then we think about all that we go through when we confront our sin, and then we're forgiven. We can't help ourselves but to respond in three ways, as we see David did, with this intense desire to serve God, to praise God, and to please God. Just three straightforward points for today. This is how we respond to God's amazing gift of forgiveness. Our first response, serve God. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Now this initial word, then, is so important because it speaks to the timing of things. And this is where we so often get it wrong as Christians. Throughout all Scripture, we see God is always the first mover. He doesn't react to us. We react to Him. God was the one who had convicted David of his sin. That's why David had experienced so much guilt and shame. God was the one who sent Nathan to call David out, compelling David to finally repent and turn back toward God. God was the one who washed David white as snow, forgiving him and creating in him a new and clean heart. There was nothing David did to deserve forgiveness. 
Because you recall, God had even forgiven David, even before he had confessed. You see, it's not what we do. It's who God is, steadfast in his love and abundant in his mercy that leads to our forgiveness. And once forgiven, free from the guilt and shame, David is then, and there's that word, compelled to respond to God. Just think about how the timing of things, God as the first mover and us as the responder, how much it impacts our faith. It's absolutely huge because the world is all about proving yourself first. And so are just about every other religion out there. And that's what makes Christianity different from all other faiths. We serve a God who loves us first, despite our failings. And when we absorb that truth, we make it our own. Our whole outlook changes when we see it. That we don't do good things to earn God's love. No, it's because of God's love that we respond by doing good things, by serving Him. I hope you hear that today. It's such an important message. God stands ready to forgive, to heal and restore us from the very depths of our sin. No sin is too great for our God. And when He does, He simply can't help ourselves but to respond to His great love for us. How? By serving God, like David desired, teaching others about God's ways. That's the word, ways. That's our response. So what are God's ways? How do we teach his ways to others? Well, they are the ways of his abundant mercy, his steadfast love, and these amazing gifts of repentance and forgiveness. These are the ways of God that David desires to teach others. He simply can't help himself. So do you see how important it was for David to spend time in that dark valley of the heartache of guilt and shame with his sin? And it's why the Bible speaks so often of this doctrine of total depravity and this issue of sin in our lives because that's where we see our true condition. It's not until we see our sin for the nastiness that it is that we can begin to appreciate God's gift of forgiveness. And it's why we have to be so careful these days because we live in an era where talking about sin tends to offend people. It's risky to call people out when they screw up like Nathan did to David, because it might hurt their feelings. Besides, what they're doing isn't really wrong in their own minds, because it's all relative to their version of truth. Or it's just the way they are. After all, we couldn't possibly imagine all that they've been through in their life. And no doubt many of us have been through some terrible things, but we can never use that as an excuse. If we can't take being called out or we keep twisting truth to justify our behavior, or we continue to excuse ourselves because of all the tough things that we've been through, then we're still in a place where we're covering up our sin, just like David initially did. Now, it's not until we are at the point where we can't take our sin another day, the guilt and the shame associated with it is just too much, that we'll finally confess our true condition, sinful since conception. And only then can we truly repent, turn back to our loving and merciful God who promises to forgive and to restore a right relationship with him. That is the powerful lesson that David has learned, and he can't wait to serve God by sharing it with others so they too can repent, be forgiven, and return to God.
It's what this season of Lent is all about. It's a time to focus on these amazing gifts of repentance and forgiveness. And perhaps the best way of teaching it to others is by practicing it with them directly. As we sin against God and as we sin against each other, we've kind of used this as a way to remember that. When we're walking together with someone in unity, and then we sin against them, we put distance between ourselves and them. And the only way that's restored is through a twofold response, a repentance, turning from it, and then a forgiveness to restore, just like you see on that graphic up there, two people walking down the well-lighted path, darkness on either side, but they're walking in the ways of God, the ways of His steadfast love, His abundant mercy, and exercising these gifts of repentance and forgiveness to restore broken relationships. As David expresses here, restoration naturally leads to ministry. When we've been forgiven, God stirs this powerful urge within us to serve Him by ministering to others. Our second response, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. In response to God's gift of forgiveness, David not only desires to serve God, but he also desires to praise God. Again, God is the first mover, because once God delivers David from blood guiltiness, David responds in praise. So what is blood guiltiness? Well, when David tries to cover up his affair with the wife of his trusted lieutenant Uriah, he in effect had Uriah murdered by sending him to the thickest part of the battle and then withdrawing the forces. And that murder is a really big deal because it's punishable by execution, typically by stoning. So when God forgave David and spared his life, David uses these words, God of my salvation, because God had saved him. And in response, David will sing aloud of God's righteousness, which in this context, righteousness means God's willing intervention to deliver his people from their sin. God is the one who saves. He is the first mover. And likewise, we see here that God is the one who opens our lips to declare his praise. You see, when we finally despise sin as much as God does, and then we experience God's amazing gift of forgiveness, we simply can't help ourselves but to open our lips to sing his praise and gratitude for all that he's done for us. So if we find it hard to sing God's praise, perhaps we weren't exercising these amazing gifts of repentance and forgiveness in our lives. Perhaps we're still dead in our sin, weighed down by our guilt, silenced in our shame, preventing us from praising God. And we find this truth in multiple places throughout Scripture. Let's check out these two passages from Psalm 115. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. And then Isaiah 38 on the message. The dead don't thank you, and choirs don't sing praises from the morgue. Those buried six feet under don't witness to your faithful ways. It's the living, live men, live women who thank you. You see, only dead men don't sing. 
They're either dead in their sin or they're literally dead. It's the men and women who are forgiven, who are reborn, free, and alive to praise God in thanksgiving. True praise springs forth from in here when we're released from the bondage of guilt and that silence of shame. I love what Joanne said in the video in the praise pillar a few weeks back when we played it. She said, it's just got to come out. You simply can't hold it back. When we've been forgiven and restored, we simply praise God in the highlands and in the heartaches all the same in our lives. For sure, guilt and shame can be so strong that forgiveness seems to be impossible, especially when we're in that valley. But remember, we serve a God who is sovereign and good. A God who is able to save, to heal, to restore, to deliver anything that he wants to. And when he restores us, he will also open our lips so that our mouths will declare his praise. And our third response, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. So in response to God's gift of forgiveness, David desires to serve God, to praise God, and to please God. Once again and always, God's the first mover. David is the one who responds to God. God is the one who does not delight in sacrifices or burnt offerings, and David must respond to that truth. Now back in the day, people atoned for sins by making an offering through a sacrificed animal. However, there are just no appropriate sacrifices for adultery and murder because the law called for a death sentence. So David was in a position where the law did not provide direction as to how he might provide a sacrifice. And this is an absolutely critical point for us to grasp. David was willing to sacrifice, but there was no sacrifice that could be made for this particular transaction. Just like that, there's nothing we can do either. We have no sacrifices. We're just like David. And if you think about it, we really do have nothing. Like David, all we can do is rely solely on God's abundant mercy and his steadfast love. In fact, when you study sacrifices in the Old Testament law, the whole point of a sacrifice was to demonstrate your dependence on God. Because everything we have is a gift from God. So the animal that was sacrificed to atone for sin came from God too. But because of man's sinful nature, people began to see it as though the animals belonged to them. And so these sacrifices became a way for them to, in effect, purchase their redemption. And we're pretty much prone to doing the same thing, aren't we? We tend to think our tithes and our offerings or our volunteer time counts for something. But in truth, our tithes, our offerings, our volunteer hours are just giving back to God what He has given us in the first place. Every minute of our lives, every dollar in our bank account, every asset in our estate came from God. There's absolutely no merit on our part that warrants His forgiveness. And it's so easy to see that truth in David's situation because the law didn't even permit a single sacrifice for this. The law simply stated that David deserved to die. So there's absolutely nothing David could sacrifice. All he had was a broken and contrite heart. But that's exactly what he needed because God takes great delight in that. 
He takes great delight when a man is truly humble and sorrowful for his sins, perhaps even brought to his tears. You see, when we've been crushed or broken and can no longer fight, that's when we surrender ourselves to God. And do you know what the universal sign for surrender is? It's two hands in the air, isn't it? And I know it can be a little weird in a church when you see people singing and they got their hands in the air because you think it's, they're kind of drawing attention to themselves and we should absolutely never do that. But by all means, feel free to raise your hands as high as you'd like as a sign of your surrender to the King. When we surrender, when we stop trying to earn our way, when we quit covering up our sinful condition, when we realize that we are helpless against the enemy, when we stop trying to hide our guilt and shame from both our own sin and from the sin that's been caused against us, when we own up to the truth of our brokenness, when we finally bend the knee in humble repentance, it says right here, God does not despise it one bit. In fact, it's what lies at the heart of a true and right sacrifice. It's like the woman who wiped Jesus' feet with her tears. Her sin was so intolerable, she knew the depths of it. And so she dropped to her knees with a broken and contrite heart, weeping at the feet of Jesus. And once we get to that same point too, where we mourn our sin just like she did, when we raise our hands in full surrender and we bend that knee at the feet of our Savior, hearts contrite and broken, that's the kind of response that's pleasing to our merciful and loving God. So let's close by assessing how our response has been to God's forgiveness by just answering a few questions. First, how have we responded to the sin in our lives? Are we covering it up, making excuses, ignoring it? Or we're convinced that maybe it's really not so bad anyway. We've been working on it for a while, of course. Second, what is our response to God's mercy and His amazing gifts of repentance and forgiveness? Do we see God as the first mover and desire to respond? Or do we still feel like we have to earn His favor first? And third, is it our desire to respond to God by serving praising and pleasing Him? Is there even any evidence in our lives of any of those? Like David, have we responded to God's amazing gift of repentance and forgiveness by serving God? How many people in our lives have we shared the good news of His abundant mercy and His steadfast love with? How many people have we ever invited to church or a church function, or a Bible study before? Could we make it throughout the entirety of our lives as professing Christians, never having invited anyone to come along with us? Who have we sinned against lately? Have we shown them what it looks like to repent? Who's sinned against us lately? Have we shown them what it looks like to forgive? Like David, have we responded to God's amazing gift of repentance and forgiveness by praising God? Do we look at a sunset and break out in praise? Do we wake up each morning with praise on our lips and close out each day with praise and gratitude 
for the love in Christ that we experienced throughout the day? Do we do like Tyler does when no one's around, go out to his garage and just dance around like a crazy man? Do we sing at the top of our lungs in our cars or in our showers? Or do we even sing at all? Or are we just dry bones, dead men who can't get over themselves enough to mouth a word of praise to our merciful and loving God? Like David, have we responded to God's amazing gift of repentance and forgiveness by pleasing God? Not with our giving, our prayers, our volunteer work, our Bible studies, but with the only way possible, with a broken and contrite heart. Have we ever raised our hands in surrender? Or does that just make us feel a little too uncomfortable? When is the last time we bent our knee in humble repentance? Because when we finally live out our faith, acknowledge and experience God as the first mover, and that our God is all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing, able to save, to deliver, to heal, to restore anything that he wants to. When we experience his abundant mercy and steadfast love and exercise his gifts of repentance and forgiveness, we won't be able to help ourselves. Our response will be full of serving him, sharing the good news of these gifts with everyone who will listen, with praising him, with all we say and do, every minute of our lives, erupting in praise because it's just got to come out, and pleasing Him with broken and contrite hearts, surrendering and bending the knee. To quote a gentleman, a philanthropist, and a trusted friend of mine, you simply can't manufacture any of this. It can only come from God. Ask. Seek and knock. He will do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today and always. Thank you for the amazing gift of repentance that you might call us to turn from our sinful ways back towards the light of your truth. Thank you for forgiveness for restoring our brokenness, granting us clean hearts so that we might serve you by sharing the good news of your amazing love with all those around us. Lord, make our tongue sing of your righteousness. Open our lips so that our mouths might declare your praise. Break our spirits so we might finally surrender to you, bending our knee before your throne. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So for our response time today, again, we're going to invite you to just take a few minutes in the quiet of your heart and just reflect on this graphic up here. This is the graphic we've used throughout the entire Lenten season. And it's a way for us to identify and ask God to help roll away those stones in our lives. And in this case, those stones that might prevent us from responding by serving Him, by praising Him, and by pleasing Him.